Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good. My name is Ricardo. I'm one of the elders here. It's an honor and a privilege to fill this pulpit again. Like Wes said earlier, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you guys have given us during this season with the love offering. It was truly a blessing. It was more than what we deserve. But once again, thank you. We're in that time of year where we just left the Christmas season, and now we're looking ahead to the new year, and we're looking ahead to the new decade, actually, this year. And we start making these plans. We start making these New Year's resolutions, and we start looking at at our life and saying, what are things that we want to change for ourselves? And we start making these plans. We're going to lose this much weight. We're going to commit ourselves to reading this many books this year. We want to change something about ourselves. And we oftentimes, it becomes a time where we're just focused on ourselves. We're going to treat ourselves better this year. We're going to focus on ourselves, and, and we're going to do right by us, by our, by our own means. And what happens is, what I found is, is that we oftentimes lose sight of, of our purpose, lose sight of the gospel during this time of year, because we're so focused on what's coming ahead. We're so focused on things that we want to change about our lives, things that, things that we want to change about the way we do things. And, and so we lose sight of the gospel. And so today... What I want to do is just just by looking at Isaiah 9 and just kind of reminding ourselves of, of what the gospel is, of what the promise is that we have in the gospel so that we can go into this new year with, with just simply reminding ourselves this is what the gospel says. This is what God promises to us in the gospel. So that's my goal today is just to look, just a reminder as we get ready for the new year of what it is that Christ has accomplished on the cross and what it means to live out the gospel in our everyday lives and what it means that God promised us in the gospel. So if you have your bulletin, you'll see that we're going to be in Isaiah 9 today. We're going to be in the first seven verses, and I'm going to go ahead and and read it. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into content the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and every and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For us a child is born, for us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We we thank you for this time that we have together as a church family, God, that you've given us this place where we can just come and sing songs that bring you praise, sing songs that bring you honor, Father God. We thank you for all that we had. We thank you for this season. We're able to spend with family, spend with friends as we grow, Father God. We humble ourselves before your throne, Father God, as as we dive into your word, as we spend the next several moments looking at, at what you have said in your word, Father God. May it be a time of growth for us. May it be a time of edification, Father God. 
May we grow in our understanding of the gospel. May it convict us in areas where we fall in short of your glory, Father God. We lift your name up, Father God. Be with us. Eliminate any distractions. Father God, may we just spend the next several moments looking at your word and internalizing it, Father God. Lord, we ask that you be with us. Be with those who couldn't be with us today. Keep them safe. Keep them in your will wherever they're at, Father God. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, use me to speak your truth today, Father God. May I decrease and may you increase today, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to these people. In your name we pray. Amen. As I was going through and preparing this, I look at it, and one of the things that stands out, the main idea for me is is that Jesus has come to deliver us from the bondage of sin and to establish his kingdom. If there's anything that you get out of this message today, it's that, that Jesus has come to deliver us from the bondage of sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin because of what he has accomplished on the cross. We're looking here at Isaiah 9, and we see that this is, this is one of the most well-known prophecies that we have, especially during this season. We see it quoted everywhere. If you're on social media, you see people probably posting this, especially on Christmas Day. And it's one of the most well-known, one of the most well-used prophecies that we have. And it's known as, as being a, a, in the prophetic perfect. This idea that the reason why it's given that title is because the way that Isaiah speaks in it, he speaks as if these events have already happened. You know, even though they're 700 years away, Isaiah goes, he uses language as if this is happening as a certainty. There will be no gloom. They have seen a great light. Light has shined in them. You have increased their joy. He speaks with a sense of certainty. And this gloom that he's talking about here points us back to, to chapter 8, to verse 22. Where he's telling Israel, he's telling Judah that, that the time is going to come when they're going to be captive. That is, Assyria is going to come and enslave them. And they're going to be brought into this time. And it's going to be a time of, of discouragement, a time of gloom, a time of darkness. And right after that, right after he says that in verse 22, he jumps into verse 1 in, in chapter 9. And he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. And he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Saying that this area, that this area is talking about the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. It's the most northern region in Israel and it was just so happened that because of their location, whenever Israel was under attack, whenever someone would came to try, try to help hold captive their, this people, this is where they attacked first. Always, because of their location, because of the trade routes and all that's going on, this area was always under attack first. And oftentimes it felt like it was always under attack. So the people of this area, they're, they're well acquainted with suffering. They're well acquainted with being in darkness, with having gloom, with feeling anguish. But he says... In, part, in the second part of verse 1, that this land, this land that's so well acquainted with suffering, that's so well acquainted with hurt and darkness, they will see, he says, the way of the sea has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan. That this is the area where God, where Jesus will come and he'll start his ministry. This is where, where Matthew in chapter 4 verses 13 through 16, he, he quotes this passage to point to the fact that this is where Jesus is fulfilling his beginning, when he starts his ministry, where he starts to fulfill his calling. This area that's so well acquainted with suffering, so well acquainted with hurt, will be the first area to see the light, to see the glory of the Messiah as he starts his earthly ministry there. And it's a land that's filled with so many different people. 
because of, because of them being under attack all the time. It's become just a melting pot. You have Hebrews, you have Hittites, you have all type of people living here. But it's in this area, it's in this area where, where it's so well acquainted with suffering, where, where people know hurt, they know darkness. This is where God will come and he will shine his light first. And this is where he starts to fulfill his calling. This light will be the first to see the light of Jesus. And it takes me to my first point, is that the gospel promises to bring joy. What's going to happen to this area? What's going to happen to these people when they see when Christ comes and he starts to fulfill his call? It says in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in land of deep darkness, on them light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The gospel brings joy because it shows that it brings light. And Matthew Henry says, when the gospel comes to any place, any so, light comes with it. And therefore, joy comes with it. The gospel brings joy to those who hear it, those who understand it, those who understand the weight of their sin and what Christ has done on the cross, that he's taken on their sins, that he took all the wrath that was rightfully theirs, and now they are stand before God, a holy, righteous God. Declared righteous because of what Christ has done. And this idea, this should bring joy to us. That Christ comes to take on our sins and die on our behalf. He says they, they have increased their joy. This light, the gospel, it brings joy. Notice the language again. It's they have seen a great light. Light has shined on them. This idea that he's speaking with a sense of certainty. This joy that we see here, it's a unique joy. It's a special type of joy. It's not, it's not simply happiness. It's not determined on, on what we're doing at that time, on what we got paid, or, or how our team is performing. The joy that we see here talks, it speaks to the joy that comes from only knowing the one true God, from understanding the gospel, from understanding all what God has did through Christ Jesus. Isaiah here, he uses two analogies to describe this type of joy. The joy at the harvest. This is the type of joy that comes after a long day of work, after they've labored all spring and all summer in the fields. They, they get to rejoice in their work. Now they have food. Now they've been provided. And they get together and they share food and they share drink and they rejoice and they give thanksgiving to God for all that he's provided. This joy that we're talking about, it's the joy that comes from understanding that God has made a way. He's provided for you a way out where you're no longer condemned to hell, but now because of what Christ has done on the cross, you have this relationship with Christ, and you have this relationship with God, and now you come before him, and you seek him, and he provides for you. This joy, this joy that we, we're talking about, it's this idea of, of knowing that, that the battle has been won, that victory is God's, and he's already fought the battle on our behalf. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. Divine disposals, when you've won battle, you've fought through it, you've gone through hard times, you've lost some friends, you've lost some loved ones, but now you have victory. And because you have victory, you can look out on the land and you can see all that's left there and you can divide all that's left between those who won. This is the type of joy that we have. 
when I look at it. I think of the joy that we see when it comes to sports and teams winning championships and, and how grown men come together in a locker room and they spray each other with champagne and they're crying and they're embracing one another. And because they have victory, they fought all season long, they fought hard, they put their bodies through, through a lot. And now they declare, they can declare themselves champions. This is the same type of joy that we have because of what Jesus has done, because he has won the battle on our behalf. This idea of victory. We rejoice. We have joy. We've seen the light because of all that Christ has done. There's no greater joy than understanding that Christ has won the battle on your behalf. That There's nothing left for you to do because Christ has done it all. Like I said, it's this, a unique joy, a unique joy that comes from only knowing who the one true God. It's a supernatural joy that, that comes over us, and, and we're, we're able to sing songs of praise despite however hard life may be, despite what we're going through in life. We are able to sing songs of praise because ultimately we know that Christ has won the battle, that Christ has taken on our sins, and we now become before a holy and righteous God and stand blameless because all that Christ has done. Joy that comes from knowing that your sins have been paid for, that your debt has been paid for. It's this joy. When you have this joy, it's nothing can steal, steal it from you. It's knowing, as it says in Romans, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. We have this joy because we're no longer condemned because we are in Christ Jesus. Having this proper understanding of the grace that we've received. And understanding that letting that grace affect us, letting that grace be the one that brings us joy, not our circumstances, not those who we have in our lives, but Christ. And his grace and his mercy, that's what brings us joy. Calvin puts it this way in his commentary. Even in darkness, nay, in death itself, there is nevertheless good ground of hope. For the power of God is sufficient to restore life to his people when they appear to be already dead. That we serve a mighty and powerful God and he can restore us. That's the type of joy that we have. Understanding that, that God, as it says in Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. All this should bring us to sing songs of praise to God. It should bring joy to our hearts to realize that Christ has done it all. That he has won the battle. That we serve a God who is mighty and powerful. We have joy because of who God is. Not because where we're at in life. Not because of what we're doing. But because simply God is. And that brings joy. Psalms 147.45 says, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is the God that we serve. And because we serve such a holy and such a righteous and such a powerful God, that should bring us joy to understand what he's done on our behalf. It's this joy that comes from resting and trusting in God. 
knowing that Christ has paid it all. Question is, are you doing this? Are you truly resting in God? Or are you taking matters into your own hand and forgetting all that God has done for you, forgetting that he's delivered you, forgetting that, that he's provided for you already? And so you put your trust in material things. You put your trust in yourself instead of trusting in the one true God who made a way for us. We have been delivered from the wrath that was ours because of what Christ has done. Leads me to my second point. The gospel, it promises to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. We've been delivered because of the gospel. We've been delivered because of the work of Christ on the cross. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You are now able to fight because of what Christ has done and what he has provided for us. We've been delivered because of the work of Christ on the cross and what he lived those 33 years as he lived a perfect life. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. (coughs) We've been delivered because Christ has lived the life that we cannot live. He lived a holy and perfect life so that we now can be victors, so that we now can can divide the spoil. Romans 5, Romans 6, 5 through 7 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For now that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Church family, because of the work of Christ, Because of what he's done, you have been set free from the bondage of sin. You no longer have to keep living the way that you live. You're given what you need to succeed, to fight off sin, because we're no longer enslaved to it. The beautiful thing here is is that that God is doing everything. If you're looking at verse 4, he has broken the yoke. He broke the staff. He has broken the rod. All these instruments that were used to hold down Israel, all these instruments that were used to enslave and captive them. Christ, God breaks those instruments. He's the one who delivers them from their enemies. We've been delivered from oppression to sin, and we've been delivered from the oppression of the law. We now have freedom in Christ. Romans 7, verses 4 through 6 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new spirit and not in the old way of the written, God, of the written code. You have been delivered 
from the oppression of sin and delivered from the law. And now in Christ Jesus, you have freedom. That's why we rejoice. Because all that Christ has done on our behalf. John Gill writes, Because they were delivered by the Lord from the burdensome yoke of the ceremonial law, which was broken off and abolished by Christ, and from the tyranny of Satan, the God of this world, out of whose hands they were ransomed and delivered, and from the dominion of sin under the power of which they had been in bondage. There's deliverance in Christ Jesus. There's deliverance in the gospel. All that he's done for us, all that he, all the pain that he went through, all the suffering that he went through was to free us from the bondage of sin. There's deliverance in the gospel. Isaiah here, he's simply saying, don't forget about what you've gone through. Don't forget that you were enslaved people. Don't forget that, that you were captive. Don't forget all that God has done for you. We know that if you look if you know your, your church history, if you know your Bible history, you know that Israel oftentimes forgot everything that God has done for them. He will deliver them from Egypt. They will cross the Red Sea, and immediately after that, they start building altars. And God is saying, don't forget what he brought you through. He goes, nothing is too big for God. He points them back. He says, you have, he, he's broken the oppressors. He's broken the rod. He's done all this as of the day of Midian. And we all know our Bible stories. We all know about the story of, of Gideon and his army going against the Midianites, where Gideon has 32,000 men versus 135,000 men. And he surveys the land. And God says, that's too much, men. So he tells Gideon to go and tell anyone who's scared, anyone who's trembling, to just go home. And so what happens? Gideon's army goes from 32,000 men down to 10,000. So now you have an army of 10,000 men going up against an army of 135,000 men. And that's still too much. So God tells Gideon, he gives him another test. He says, take your men to the water. Let them drink. And those who kneel down, send them home. Those who lap the water and drink. Those are the ones you take into battle with you. So now Gideon's army goes from from 10,000 men to 300. And then God says, now I'm going to do the work. And we know the story. We know all that happens. And so simply what God wanted was he wanted the odds so much stacked against Israel that there could be no mistake that he, God, was the one who delivered them from the hands of their enemies. This is true from us too. God is the one who delivered Gideon. God is the one who's delivering us. We bring nothing to the table. Not even the salvation that we have, not even the faith that we have is our own. It's all a gift from God because of his grace and because of his mercy. There's nothing that we can boast in. God is in the business of delivering. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget where we've gone, what we've been through. We have, we have short memory. We oftentimes forget all that God has done for us, all that he's delivered us out of. We have this tendency of we can be in pain, we can be suffering one day, and the next day God delivers us from that pain, and we immediately forget all that God has done. Don't forget all that God has done for you. Don't forget what God has delivered you out of. God is in the business of delivering his children, of saving them and bringing them to a saving faith. He says in Jeremiah 15, 21, I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Church, we serve a God who works on our behalf, who delivers us from the oppression of sin, from the bondage of sin, 
who guides us down the right path. That same deliverance that Gideon and his army experienced is that same deliverance that we can experience in the gospel. We can be freed from Satan's yoke because of what Christ has done on the cross. This deliverance that we talk about here, this deliverance brings peace. This idea in verse 5 about burning the, the full, every garment rolled in blood, it will be burned as fuel for the fire. This happens at the end of war. After everyone, after war is done, there's this time of peace. And so you gather your enemy's clothes and you burn them up and to provide warmth for you. He's saying, I will bring peace to you. This victory that Christ has over Satan, the deliverance that we have, the joy that we have ultimately should bring peace to our lives. Knowing that God has done the work, that there's nothing that we could have done. Because of who God is, he's done everything on our behalf, and we're able to rest in this peace of knowing that that's true. That God is the one who's victorious, and we simply just have the benefits of him winning the battle on our behalf. Don't forget my challenge today. Don't forget what God has done for you. As you reflect on a year, as you reflect on what you want to do this next year coming, don't forget all that God has already done for you. Don't forget all that he's delivered you out of Remember, take time to remember all that what God has done for you. Let's not focus on the past. Let's not dwell on it. But let's just rejoice at the fact that God has brought us out. Whatever it may be, he has delivered you. And because of this deliverance, because of what Christ has done, now we go from darkness to light. We go from sorrow to joy. We go from glory, from gloom to glory. We go from oppression to freedom all because of what Christ has done on the cross. All this is possible because a child is born and a son is given to us. It leads me to my last and final point. The promise, the gospel promise to, to give us provision, that promise that God will be with us, that Christ will be with us along the way, that he will, will take care of us, that he will give us all that we need so that we can lived out our lives in glory to God. He says, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. How is this going to happen? It's because Christ will reign over all things on heaven and earth. Because of that, because he is king, because he is ruling, because the governments are upon his shoulder, we now have victory. We now have been delivered from the oppression of sin. And he's here, and he sits on his throne. And he rules over the earth. What kind of ruler do we have? We're showed four different names here or titles or characteristics. He's going to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Looking over these four different names, if you will. To me, they, they kind of, they're important because they strike some of the things that we struggle with the most as human beings. And so let's take some time to look at these four. First one being, he would be a wonderful counselor. This idea that, that God has infinite wisdom. He is absolute wise. He has absolute knowledge and wisdom. As Isaiah 28, 29 says, that God is excellent in his counsel and excellent in his wisdom. That we have a God, Christ who is in heaven, who gives us counsel on our behalf, who sends the Holy Spirit so that we can look through the scriptures, to understand the scriptures, and be enlightened. And he serves us up. He serves that way. Romans 11, 
talking about God's wisdom and counsel. Oh, the depth and of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable is his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? The answer is no one. Who has given a gift to him who might be repaid? No one. God is absolute wisdom. He has infinite knowledge. He is wise and he serves as, the, as our wonderful counselor. He says, Psalms 32, 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with, the, with my eye upon you. We have a God who, who sits there and who wants to counsel us, who wants to give us guidance, who wants to lead us down the right path. We live in a world where, where we struggle with this idea. We, 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 when we are in times of need, when we're struggling with, with what we need to do, we go to all the wrong places to look for the answers. But we serve a God who is mighty, who is a wise who's a wonderful counselor, who is wise beyond all measure. No one truly understands how wise our God is. His ways, his judgment are unsearchable. We have a God in heaven who is our wonderful counselor. We are so affected by sin in this world that we need to spend more time seeking after God, seeking his guidance, seeking his wisdom, seeking his counsel instead of turning to other things. Next is, is he is mighty God. This is, this is a name reserved for God himself. In other words, this is just speaking of Christ's deity, that he is, in fact, God. And as a mighty God, he is infinitely strong. He is infinitely powerful. He is in control of all things because of, he is a sovereign God. This idea is that we... Deep down, we desire control. We desire power. But we serve a God who is infinitely powerful, who is infinitely strong. That's comforting to us, that knowing that God is in control of all things. That all power reigns with him, that he has an abundance of power. We rest in that truth, in that fact that God is mighty. Next one, he is the everlasting father. This idea of, of he's infinitely caring. He is infinitely, he's abundant in his love for us. We have a tendency to look for love in all the wrong places. Whether it's in material things, whether it's in our job, whether it's in our relationships. We look for love in all the wrong places while we have someone in heaven who is the everlasting father. One commentator writes this of this title. This title conveys the king's willingness to put the needs of his children first, just as a good father does. We have a God in heaven who cares infinitely about his children, who loves his children, says who will not leave us as orphans. He, He has a care for us as a father has a care for his kids. We all know the, the famous verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Those who believe him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the love that we have of the Father in heaven, that he sent his only son to die for our sins. All we have to do is come before him and acknowledge that, and acknowledge that we are a sinful people, and that Christ came and he died for our sins. We have God in heaven who, who loves us. 
as a father loves his children. Lastly, he says, it's the prince of peace. This idea that, that Christ comes to give us peace between God and man because of the work he's done, because of, of the work of the cross, because of the death, and because of his resurrection, we now are at peace. We're no longer enemies before God, but we are at peace with him. Romans 5 one says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea that, that God came, he sent his son to die for our sins, and now because of that, we can stand before a holy and righteous God and be declared righteous because the righteousness of Christ is imputed onto us. It's given to us. This is this type of peace that, that Christ will bring. If we look at, at, at um, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, this is the peace on every level. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze their young, shall raise their young to lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his head on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. This is Christ brings peace on every level when he comes back. That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice in the fact that, that he will reign. There will be no limit to Christ's reign on, on, on earth. So we see that in verses, verse 7 as we close. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Christ comes to reign, to bring deliverance, and to bring peace. And there will be no end to that. And he fulfills it. Fulfills that promise that we see in 2 Samuel 7 that God gives to David. Because he's going to rule on the throne of David. He rules as David. He rules on David's throne over his kingdom. And lastly, who's going to do all this? It is God who does all this. He's the one who establishes it. He's the one who's going to uphold it. He will rule with justice. He will rule with righteousness because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God, the zeal, his jealousy. God is going to make all this happen because of who he is. We take comfort in that. That God will make all of this happen because of simply of who he is and his love and his care. For his children. My challenge to those of you who, who are in here, who are followers, who, who, who have Jesus in your life and, and you claim to have a relationship with Christ, don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget all that he's delivered you from. Rejoice in the fact that now you have a heavenly father who cares and loves for you. And take that joy, take that good news out to people. We cannot hide this joy. We cannot hide this light that we have because of who Christ is. If you are saved, we need to go out and declare that to people. We need to bring the gospel to people. Don't forget what God has done for you. If you don't have Christ in your heart, what I want to say is that all this, this joy, this deliverance, 
this, this, this father in heaven who cares for, for, for his children, all that's available to you. All you got to simply do is repent and believe, and we would love to talk to you. We have elders here who would love to sit down with you after the service or would love to take you out to coffee or lunch and have that conversation with you of what it means to have a relationship with Christ, what it means that we deserve death, but because of what Christ has done on the cross, we no longer are condemned to hell, but now we have. Uh, now Christ's righteousness is imputed onto us. We would love to have that conversation with you if you haven't accepted him in your heart. Please don't let another day go by without asking those hard questions. We would love to sit down and just lead you through that, what it means, what is the gospel, why it's important, why we need it. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy over our lives, Father God, that because of your work, because of all that you do, we're able to come before you humbly, We're able to kneel before your throne of grace and mercy. All because of what Christ has done, Lord. We thank you for that. May we be reminded of that this week as we bring in the new year. May we be reminded of your your mercy. May we be reminded of your love and your grace over our lives, Father God. May we live that out every day of our life. Keep us safe today, Father God, as we go home. As it's raining, keep us safe on the road. May we take this day, this holy day, to to remain in your will, to spend perhaps extra time in your word, spend extra time in prayer, because this is your day, Father God. May you be at the center of this day. May you lead us. May you guide us. In your name we pray. Amen.